Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage Success Radio Show 236, the case for heart-centered leadership. Uh, looking forward to speaking to you today. I think this is my first one of the new year. I'm a bit confused. I couldn't get in originally. My phone's not working, so it's all a bit traumatic. I think it's my first one, so happy new year. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about the hard business case for heart-centered leadership. So I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm a social engagement consultant working with the Engage for Success movement leading on digital. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there's a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and uh, potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, which is engagedforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the top to join our newsletter list. We generally mail out at the end of every week. If you tweet, please share your thoughts using our hashtag E4S, hashtag E4S, that's with the number four, to join the conversation and come and join in on our LinkedIn group as well. All our social media links are at the top of our homepage, so you can easily find them there. So my guest today is Danielle McLeod, who's a founder of Somebody Inside. And we've just been laughing in that uh, David McLeod just phoned me uh, a few minutes ago and Danielle connected me with yet another McLeod, uh, who I spoke to earlier in the day. So I'm, I'm very much in the clan today, Danielle. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're taking over the world. <laughs> well, apparently so. <laughs> Lovely. So start by telling, telling us a bit about you and about Somebody Inside and what that's all about. Yeah, sure. So um, I left the corporate world um, back in March last year. And before that, I was, um, I was with Sky Television for 12 years. Um, Latterly is director of customer service. And um, while I was at Sky, we took on a quite a big mission really around women in leadership. And I became one of the key figures for Sky to talk about women in leadership, to be speaking at conferences, to be talking to our women in the organization. And funny enough, um, even though I didn't even really volunteer for that, um, I was chosen. I developed a huge passion for helping women uh, dial up their impact in the world and address some of the challenges that I think sometimes can be unique or slightly different for women than they are for men. And so I went off and set up a business with a really talented um, partner to help women create a life of ease and joy and impact, you know, that we can have both. Um, but I come from a long-standing corporate background um, and, and lots and lots of time with Sky doing a number of different leadership roles. Lovely. So you had a bit of an epiphany whilst you were there, which you talked about um, really, really eloquently at our task force meeting a few few weeks ago, which is um, part of why I'm so excited about getting you on the show, because it, it's just brilliant to hear your story. So, so tell us a bit about um, how that all happened and, and, and what that led to in terms of your your career and then you know your your heart-centered leadership sort of approach and it's you know that that'll be like the next 20 minutes and then we'll be done <laughs> great I well i lots of questions in one go <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i'll try and answer more you can nudge me if i don't get this um so this would be i don't know six maybe six years ago um or five five or six years ago i was director of change for sky i had a 
an HR background for a long time and then I moved into change management, big technical change projects um, and leading teams of project managers and analysts. And I thought I would love it. And um, I just got more and more frustrated with myself. And one day I went in to see my boss at the time. Uh, he then became the MD and I said to him, um, you have to help me. Um, I don't know why I'm on this planet anymore and if you don't help me I'll have to leave and um, you know he was ex-army so I don't think those are his kind of questions <laughs> so he said great I'll, I'll get you a coach let's sort that out <laughs> and um, <laughs> I ended up working with a coach who then pointed me in the direction of a fantastic program called leadership which is run by the coaches training institute where effectively I would describe it as um you go and do your therapy in a, in a group of um, with other impactful people. <laughs> and um, my commitment in that group was that I would, for the, probably the first time in my life, I would show up a hundred percent as though, as if I would, if other people, if I didn't care what other people thought about me. Um, and I'd built my whole life really being a chameleon, you know, I'm, I've always been very good. And I think women are generally at walking into a room and going, what's needed? I'll be that then. Um, and it was really revelatory for me to say, well, if I don't care what these 15 people think about me, who am I um, without carrying the need to be what everybody else wants? And over the course of the year of doing that program, I just discovered this enormous heart that I think commercially and professionally had been buried for a long time. Um, and this need to lead from the place of the heart and to, need, and to lead from a place of love. And of course, then I go back to a corporate organization. And um, after my first session, I write this long email to the guy who's now COO. And I say, I've just come across something amazing. And I need to spend time with you. And so I sat down with him and talked him through what I'd uncovered for myself. He thought I'd gone insane, I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, he literally introduced me to somebody as, have you met Danielle since she came back from that thing? She's a bit weird. <laughs> but funny enough, Joe... I think it was maybe four or five weeks later after that very first one, he called me up and he said, um, will you run the call center? And I thought he was joking. I burst out laughing. And um, he said, I'm not joking. We want you to run the call centers. And that, so at the time I was a director, I was mainly I was dealing with big financial projects. So I had a team of about 65 and running the call centers was 10,000 people. And I had no experience in running call centers. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I said to him, but you do know what you're getting, don't you? I said, because I am not the same person anymore. And he said, I know, Danielle, that's why we want you. Um, which was like a really big moment. Before you, before you, yeah, yeah. Before, before we Already, yeah, not... this is an unusual response from an organisation. So you, you, you first, well, and also a, a, an unusual thing to say as a leader, you know, that you don't know why you're on the planet and you need some help. I mean, that, that was quite a brave thing to say in the first place. But then to have the sort of response that you had, which, as you say, then turned into this amazing opportunity that was, you know, really left field. Yeah. Was, was that something that, you know, happened in Sky generally? Or, or was it just you were at sort of, I don't know, the right place at the right time with with an enlightened given and your own efforts in there as well. Yeah, a couple of things. I think I had a lot of credit in the bank too. I had delivered some pretty good things to Sky and I was well respected. I think there was a real sense in the organisation that I was capable of more um, and that they were trying to unlock what that was. 
and so I'd always been very passionate about people but I guess I'd never I'd never shown up with full courage and I think heart-centered leadership brings with it courage where actually when you lead from a place of compassion and love and um, you direct people from there and I'll talk to you about kind of ruthless compassion hopefully if we get time to when you can show up with real love for people and say what needs to be said really amazing things happen and so I think people started to see me in much more honest conversations in much more authentic conversations starting to create shift and I think it was a gamble I think he was confident that I could do good things. And also he was a bit unnerved by it. I mean, I remember him a couple of times saying, you know, Daniel, we're not just going to go around and hug trees. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I know we're not going to hug trees, um, but will you give me the space to try this? And and he said, yes. So I feel really honoured that that was presented to me. Mm-hmm. So tell us more then about how, how things moved on then. So you, you, you took the role. Well, I think the, um, yeah, I, I had picked up a team who were pretty broken and who had lost their reputation, but in my view, who had the potential to be really talented people. And I suppose this is where I come up from heart centered leadership. I th- heart centered leadership is not that we all walk around and t- hug trees, you know, which is what people's fear is. It's that you show up with so much care for people that you say what needs to be said and you do it from a place of not I need to meet my business objectives but actually that I'm serving you in giving you this information and so I sat down with my team and I shared with them without any holds bar but with a whole ton of love and a whole ton of faith that they could do something different that this is how people perceive you right now um and we need to change that and so I really um Mm. Because I didn't know how to do anything else, Joe. I didn't know how to run the metrics. I didn't know how to speak the call center lingo. I did know how to lead and inspire people to sit up and be the thing they're most capable of. Mm. And so that's so where I started. reaction then? So they, so that you know, they they're presumably merrily going along, probably knowing that there's something not quite right, but they probably didn't think they were in such a bad place in terms of reputation and then their new boss comes in and tells them exactly <laughs> what their <laughs> reputation is it wouldn't always go well but in this case it did <laughs> yeah and, and I've got the answer to you I was really nervous I was nervous to come in because I wouldn't have been the natural candidate um and these were people I'd known for a long time and um I knew I didn't have anything else to offer other than pure care and honesty for them and so I did sit I had some pretty interesting conversations with a number of people on a one-to-one basis where I said things are going to have to change for you to be as successful as you once were and as I believe you can be in this organization I am backing you all the way but I need you with me um and I guess Mm. I think underneath it all people were just deeply relieved that the conversation was getting honest and there was no sense for me what I didn't do Joe and I think a lot of new leaders do I didn't go in with the big brush and sweep everybody out in fact, what was so exciting about the work we did, I remember maybe like 18 months later, it might have been left, my boss saying to me, do you know, Danielle, he said, um, you have got probably the most admired team in the customer service group, if not the organization. And they're the same people that 18 months ago we thought you needed to make changes to. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, you know what? I wish I'd recorded that because it was probably the proudest moment of my career, genuinely, because I think there's a sense that when people are failing, we forget to look at the leader. And I'm, by that, I mean the most senior leader in the room. We go, well, hang on a minute. What are you not doing? Not what are they not doing? 
because that's your job to transform them. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, recommended a book to you the other day, didn't I? Um, Radical Candor, and um, yeah. that is actually the message throughout the book, which is your job is to, you know, lead people, manage people, and, and, and enable them to do the best job they possibly can. And that's actually what you've got to do. Forget all the, as you say, sort of and the, the, the doing stuff not that you shouldn't be doing that as well but actually if you can get the people to do it that's you know what you're supposed to be there for and um, it, it seems so simple to say that it's not quite so simple for the average manager in situ is it <laughs> no it's not because we're used to showing up the way we think leaders should show up or the way we think managers should show up we're used to telling other leaders how to have certain conversations or, you know, if you don't say this, then on your head be it type star. And and to be in a, state, a space of ruthless compassion, you have to take all that off the table. And so from, and I talk about ruthless compassion because for me, it's the ability to say what needs to be said with the love and compassion that enables somebody to hear it. And I think for me, this is really at the core of heart-centered leadership is I am 100% in service of you. I want the best for you. I care about you. And therefore, these are conversations that need to happen. And for me, that steps entirely away from this phrase that drives me insane, which is training people how to have difficult conversations. I mean, it's going to be difficult if you call it that, Um, you know, into what if I cared about you so much? that I'm going to say the things that maybe nobody else can say. And what if you knew I cared about you so much that you were able to listen to it? And then you're in a whole different game, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I think it's hard to do that. Because I think often as managers, we, we bring our own needs to the table. So we don't, we don't want to hurt other people and we don't want to be the one doing the hurting. So it's like, well, that conversation needs to happen, but blame me, I don't want to do it. Can someone else do it? Uh, (laughs) And so we dodge around Mm -hmm. Till there's a burning fire on the table that you can't ignore anymore and um the thing about this compassion is when you do only with that quite often sorry i was going to say the yeah, only cause of that is quite often by not having the conversation you are being damaging it's you know you don't want to because you think you're going to hurt people but actually you hurt people more by not having that conversation don't you exactly that and to be honest with you you're praying somebody else mm. will take it off their hand you know it's not that you don't know it needs to be mm. done it's that you're so self you're so self-absorbed in your own desire to not hurt them that you dodge it. And actually, the thing mm-hmm. I've learned over the years is for the for the couple of minutes that I have to step into a dodgy stomach space, knowing now because I've done it so many times that every time I have this conversation, something shifts. I have yet to do a conversation from a place of ruthless compassion that has not had a great result. And I genuinely mean that. And there have been many, many, many of them. Um, And I include in that great result someone going, yeah, you're right, I need to go. (laughs) Right? But I've yet to do one that has ended up in a grievance or someone, you know, writing 9,000 emails to me afterwards and saying, you got this wrong. Because you listen on a different level and you're flexible in your response. Um, And so you know, for the couple of minutes of discomfort it causes me, I need to just get over that because I know it's not real. Mm. So what, what are the characteristics of those conversations? What makes them um, so so powerful? How, so for people listening, you know, what, what, what do they need to bear in mind? I mean, I guess, we, you know, in 20 minutes we can't um, transform <laughs> the lives of these leaders. But, you know, what, I think what I can give you five really quickly. Share with them? 
Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, there's five in my mind, which are really easy to work with. So the first one is you have to put your own needs to one side. And we've talked about that in some detail. The second is that you have to be able to source compassion for the other person. Like if you genuinely don't give a monkey's about them, this is not going to go well because people can spot that in about five seconds. Um, and that's where the defensiveness yeah. and the and the and the no the rebellion comes from. It's like, well, you don't care anyway, so I might as well fight you. Um, so you have to be able to source compassion for them and see them as another human being. And you have to stop making up that you know what's going on for them because you don't know till you ask. <laughs> um, you mustn't. The third thing is you mustn't have a defined outcome in mind. So by that I mean, you you must know what it is you need to say. But you must not have rehearsed 9,000 times what their response is going to be and the thing you are going to do at the end of it. So, for example, if you go into a conversation of ruthless compassion, setting somebody on a path of performance management as an example, and the only outcome you have in mind is they're going to leave, then you might as well say that in the first conversation. Because people can yeah. smell that a mile off. It's like it would be the equivalent of walking into a court case and then just going, oh, yeah, guilty, as you walk in the door and then sending you back out again. <laughs> That's what mm-hmm. drives me insane, yeah. right? So you mustn't have a defined outcome in mind. If you've got one, you're screwed, or you just say it straight away, right? And I really believe in, um, you can do that in a way that enables you to hold on to the HR practices. And I say that as an ex-HR director who didn't get fired for breaking HR practices. <laughs> so um, I didn't get fired. That's not the funny thing to say, but you, do you know what I mean? I, I understand HR practices. You can have this conversation honestly. So no defined outcome in mind. And then you have to listen like your life depends on it. Because the problem is we make up that we know what's going on for the other person. And we may or may not be right in that assumption. Um, and often if you can sit down with somebody and say, how are you really feeling? And you look them in the eye and you hold the silence because we fill the silence with nerves all the time. <laughs> you hold the silence mm. and you let them speak and then you listen. Um, and you have to listen so that you can learn how to respond flexibly. And so the listening is really critical. And then the ability to respond flexibly, which is why you mustn't have a fixed outcome. So it's like, ah, now I've learned things I did not know before. Either I need to take a pause and go away and think, or we need to take this conversation down a different angle. Or do you know what? It's exactly what I thought it was. Let's have a conversation about that. But when we go in loaded up with assumptions that we already understand the other person, we are screwed. <laughs> We're absolutely screwed. And then the last one, Joe, which I think is, so important for us we have to drop our need to be right about what we've made up and so in service of understanding what would really fix it we have to not go in with predefined solutions um because these are grown-ups that we're having a conversation with and so they don't want to know i've defined this is wrong with you (laughs) this is what you need to do about it and here's how we're going to fix it that's that's not a conversation, that's a telling. And we all know, because we've been on the receiving end of tellings at different points in our life, human beings don't like tellings very much. And so that's not <laughs> what we're trying to create. And the best outcome in every single scenario, unless you're genuinely downsizing and everybody has to go, is that this person steps up and says, I hear you. And one way or another, whether it's I'm going to go or I'm going to stay, I'm committed to doing something different. And they say that from a place of, gosh, this conversation was supremely helpful. They might not like it and it may have hurt a bit and I'm out to go in and think about it. But when they reflect on it afterwards, they go, do you know what? No one's ever flipping told me that. And if someone had told me years ago, I might not be here right now. Mm-hmm. And then they become these yeah. conversation 
that you, the two of you, I've had people write me thank you cards after these kinds of conversations. Um, which is bonkers yeah. because yeah. if I go back in my career like 10 years, I'd have had, I'd have been going into canteens and pulling the knives out of my back, you know, because I was in HR and I had to have lots of these shirts. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's where the heart comes in. The heart comes in because it allows you to care enough to say what you, what nobody else might say because it feels ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. I just I've just had a flashback to a, 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 a silly example of this because it's not anything to do with performance. But I remember back, back to being a 19 year old HR manager and being the person nominated to talk to the to the lad who had really terrible body odour. <laughs> and I I remember dreading the conversation and feeling like I know I, it's why it's me that's got to do it. But you know because he was only 17 or whatever. You know there's only a couple of years between us and stuff. But I do remember that absolute um relief in him when he mm. knew what the problem was and that there was a problem and then we'd worked out a solution you know which was you know change his shirt twice a day and and that and he knew i could then be you know trusted to give him feedback as time went on to resolve it i mean this is a really you know silly silly example given the the immensity of, of how life is within organizations but it but it is exactly the example of this that you know, people don't say it because it's awkward for everybody. And actually, when you do say it, the, the you know, the absolute transformation at the other side of it is, you know, and it's funny, just reminding me, this is like 40, not 40 years ago, I'm not that old, 30 years ago, and I've just had a massive flashback to that. But Joe, it's a brilliant example, um, because if you really love somebody, you don't want everybody talking about them behind their back. Right? Mm. And so that's where the ruthless compassion comes in. I love you so much that even though it hurts me a bit to say this to you, and I know it's going to be a bit embarrassing, I know that once you know it, you'll change and things will get easier for you. So it's, it's my duty mm. as a leader to be in service of you and share it with you. And, and, and it's, not, it's more uncomfortable for you often than it is for them um, once they get over mm-hmm. that what it is. And that's why I think that at the heart of heart-centered yeah. leadership becomes, I put my love for you and my need to be in service of you up at the top. And I do want to say, um, because I know we've got like five or six minutes left. I want to be really clear in case anyone's listening to this and going, well, that's all really nice, but you know, my organization wouldn't tolerate it. Our results went through the roof. They went through the roof from being in a place of honest conversations. Um, People, we are grievance. I mean, this is a call center, right? So call, it's a call center environment, 10,000 people in call center environments, which are prolific um, in grievances, attendance hearings, you know, people going absent without leave, all that behavior that's just not pleasant. Our numbers went down. Our, our engagement went up dramatically. People loved honest, caring conversations. Of course we do. I mean, what's bad about mm. that? We, we said, you know, the, the hard business case. This is the hard business case. How did that then work with other people? I mean, you'd been through your transformational leadership program. You'd had this opportunity and you could see these, these things, you know, happening and transforming before your very eyes sort of thing. You know, yeah. could other people do that? Or, you know, you yeah. strike me as somebody who is heart-centered. So, you know, what about people who are perhaps less naturally so? How, but what happens elsewhere in the business, shall we say? Well, I think a couple of things is one is you you put people around you who call you to account on it and you're open to be called out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is we introduced a leadership model, which I didn't speak about. And we're going to throw it in as a bonus um, at the end. because We've got five minutes. <laughs> we introduced this model of leading from within, leading from behind and leading from the front. 
very much went with heart-centered leadership and so the idea was leading from the front is classic leadership right I'll tell you what to do all follow me leading from behind is I trust you to do it and I'm here to catch you if anything goes wrong and leading from within is I'm just yeah. the same yeah. as you I'm here to share my thoughts my ideas are no more important than anybody else's but if you need me I'm here right and so one of the things we taught our senior leaders and by that I mean heads of department and then it went down to operational managers to do at the beginning was to declare that they were practicing so you would get into a meeting and you would say, do you know what, guys, today I'm going to lead from within. Blimmin, call me out if I stop, <laughs> right, if I start leading from the front, <laughs> because I've got to you at the beginning that I'm not. Um, or I might take permission and say, I need permission to lead from the front now because I'm seeing we're getting in a pickle. Would it be useful if I stepped up? Right. So you suddenly, um, you, you put practices around people that help them to have these conversations. And the other thing is, I think, um, mm. one of the things that businesses are missing out on is the power of what is out there for free right now. So as an example, I really passionately believe you're doing it right with this radio show, but every organization has access to YouTube, um, as an example, they have access to Facebook. You could take your most talented people who do this naturally, and you could run a Facebook Live, and you could let your leaders dial in. You could coach leaders' lives on how to do it. Instead of bringing in big, expensive trainers, take the people who are already doing it. You will know who they are in your organization. They stick out like a mile. And harness that. Get them to teach other people. Because, mm. by the way, these kinds of people are great teachers, always. Um, and you can do it for nothing. You don't bring in an organization to teach people how to have difficult conversations. Find out the people who do it brilliantly in your own organization and help them learn how to teach everybody else and use the platforms out there that cost yeah. absolutely nothing to give people access to it. Um, and just keep, be honest with your people about, I'm trying something new. Sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. And, you know, I would say that I remember sending blogs out to my team um, and to the wider business saying, do you know what? I tried this and I didn't do what I said I was going to do. So now I'm letting you know I didn't do it. And I'm going to try and do something different. People really appreciate mm -hmm. that. Because it's not corporate come speak. It's a human being going, I tried it. I didn't do I didn't do quite what I meant to do. I didn't do what I promised you I would do. Know that I've noticed it and I'm going again. Right? And all of a sudden, I could mm. put a blog out to 10,000 people. And in, in within an hour of getting it, I could have 50 responses from people who've never met me before. Then you know you're engaging right um so I think yeah. it takes an element of bravery but what I find personally is it's so rewarding to be tuned to be tuned into my heart as well as my head I don't want people to think that I didn't have head leadership because I absolutely did but the exciting transformation for me happens when you have both tools to play with um that you go to mm. your head you need to fix something and you check in with your heart and go is this the right thing to do do I feel good about this if you don't do something different mm -hmm. I think it's that simple it's interesting yeah one of the things that I can mention a lot is when we did the um, chief executive research it came up about how vulnerability was really difficult for them because it, you know it's about being the leader from the front and always right and what you've just said absolutely speaks to that that you know, you, being vulnerable and being honest and being open and saying, as you said, you know, I'm just trying something, give me feedback, you know, I'll tell you if it works or doesn't or whatever. Any, all of that stuff is so alien to, to usual management practices almost, isn't it? That uh, it, it, it's, that's got to be one of the keys to that change, isn't it? One of the first things I did, Joe, was, um, I know we've got to finish to say, I published my 360 feedback to all of my people. 
so they could see what people liked wow. about me and didn't like. Yeah, because I was like, well, you have, yeah. to, you, have, you have to see this. See that I'm not perfect as well. Um, and the thing you start to realize really, really quickly is when you show up vulnerable, and not from a place of, oh, my God, I'm mm. in fear here and I'm a disaster. People love it. They want to see you as a human being. That's mm. how you get genuine connection with the work you're trying to achieve. And, um, you know, I just I want to speak to all your listeners and just go, do it, do it, do it. Try it. It's fun. <laughs> it's been so good to having you on here, not least because you, you time check yourself all the way through, which most guests don't. <laughs> 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 but it's been great as I knew it would be, and we really must get you back on because we could carry on talking for at least another four shows, I'm sure. So uh, let's try and get you booked in for later in the year. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Do. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Thank Lovely. you. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed it. So, um, so looking forward hopefully to get Danielle back. Um, and to let you know, next week Joe Moffat will be back, and she's talking to Kate Cooper, who's head of research at the. CITB and they're talking about a short report that we're about to launch as Engage with Success uh, about research conducted by the Leadership and Engagement Thought and Action Group, the TAG, uh, on behalf of the CITB, the Construction Industry Training Board, so that is, um, about the, uh, the situation around leadership and engagement within the construction industry. So um, that research is due out shortly and they'll be talking about that on the show next week. So uh, we'll look forward to uh, getting you back listening to us next time. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.